later speaking of the same experience the prophet referred to Jesus the Savior by saying that he never quote set up stakes that phrase uh, appears in several sermons in which he's explaining that we all tend to say so far God may reveal but no further we are as the parable of Jesus illustrates like bottles that have been stretched to their capacity men do not put new wine in leather skin bottles for the reason that there is no flexibility in such a used bottle and so the wine would pour out and the prophet points out that this is a tendency of all men to so inherit and hold on to traditions often distorted traditions that they reject the treasures of new light well Jesus did not and as the prophet puts it view him fulfilling all righteousness on the banks of the Jordan where he was baptized also on the mount transfigured before Peter and John they're receiving the fullness of priesthood or the law of God setting up no stake but coming right up to the mark in all things hear him after he returned from the mount did ever language of such magnitude fall from the lips of any man hearken him all power is given unto me both in heaven and the earth notice that here Joseph Smith identifies the Mount of Transfiguration with that outpouring whereas in the New Testament we only read that there was a mount in Galilee where the eleven apostles came after the resurrection and it was after that that according to that text he said all power is given me now this which is a weighty and profound promise surely reflects that to this point Jesus was prepared that he had been abiding in and living through the influences of the Father and that now he could go forward to what remained a huge mountain experience a sequel follows the biblical narrative of events on the top of the mountain I read now from the inspired version as they came down from the mountain he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man was risen from the dead and they kept that saying with themselves questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean at the bottom of the mount in a small village Jesus and the three meet with those who were left below and they have been in a very serious situation they have been in the presence of a man whose son is possessed and violently possessed people who have passed by him in the past and the scripture says he has a dumb spirit 
But people who have passed by, he has suddenly rushed out to seize, torn at them, and foamed and gnashed with his teeth. Some read the story as the story of an epileptic, but the behavior I've just described is not always associated with epilepsy. In any case, his disciples had seen Jesus dealing with possession and had seen him administer and watch the peace and the change. So, in the presence of the Father, they attempt to deliver the boy, and they fail. They attempt a second time and fail, and the multitude nearby begin to ridicule them in the standard language, laughing them to scorn. Now Jesus, coming down from the mount, sees the situation, groans within himself, says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? And then says, Bring him unto me. Now I read again. They brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. Jesus said to the Father, How long is it since this came unto him? And he replied, Of a child. Jesus said, And now an insight into the power of faith in those who love those in need. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more. Now those who were nearby think the boy is dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. The sequel tells us about the struggles of his disciples. When they had him alone, they said to him, Master, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. That's how we know that as Jesus ascended the mount, he was both praying and fasting. Elder Talmadge has written of this incident and said something close to this. Do you have some besetting sin? Do you have some binding habit? Do you have problems that go all the way back to when you were a child? Perhaps yours is the kind that goeth not out except by prayer and fasting. I turn next to a question regarding the gathering when Jesus returned to Jerusalem for the last time, he stood someplace, and no one knows exactly where, looked out over the city, and said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered thee. It's been my privilege on 
three occasions to stand overlooking the city with modern men of God and as they have thought through the history of suffering and affliction and war and anguish and conflict and hate they have said just as did the master long ago oh Jerusalem well when he said it he was on the eve of the act of the atonement and he added that he wanted to gather them together as a hen gathereth her chicks and then added but ye would not the imagery of a hen is one that those of us who've had a taste of country life may understand hens indeed have chicks and under their wings there is warmth and protection when Jesus used the same figure when his voice spoke from on high to the assembled Nephite multitude he added two tenses he said I would have gathered he then said I have gathered and then he added and I will and he further said that under the wings would come nourishment so now not just protection but nourishment is mentioned we have stood on the top of the Mount of Olives and seen the evidence of teeming life and wondered how the gathering Jewish people will eventually build again what has twice been destroyed their temple Joseph clearly connects the desire for gathering expressed by the master and the building of the temple let me read three sources Eliza R. Snow records last Sunday I had the privilege of listening to an interesting discourse by President Joseph Smith he took for his subject the words of the Savior O Jerusalem thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto you how oft I would have gathered you then she says he illustrated the necessity of the gathering for the building of the temple another scribe of that discourse says quoting the prophet God designed to gather the Jews oft but they would not it is for the same purpose that God gathers together the people in the last days to build unto the Lord an house to prepare them for the ordinances and uh, it adds specifically baptism for the dead Jesus had hoped that the Jews would respond to the point that they would be privileged to reach backward to their forebears and that's the third version of the discourse God ordained that he who would save his dead should do it by getting together as with the Jews so gathering has at least three significations it means coming to the land of promise it means building a sacred temple 
and it means carrying the blessings of the temple to one's loved ones. So when the master said, I came unto mine own, and mine own received me not, he could also have said, and in these passages seem to mean, and you have rejected your own, meaning those tied to them by blood and heritage, the very ones they were claiming to be closest to, they were neglecting. And so their house, meaning the temple, was left unto them desolate. The Mount of Transfiguration was a kind of temple that night, a dedicated place, apparently, where sacred communications could be given. The oldest inscription known, the oldest epithet for God in Jewish lore is El Shaddai, sometimes translated God of the Mountain. The idea that now that a wilderness or a mountain would be as it were God's own temple was surely familiar to Peter, James, and John and others who later heard of this story. And we have John testifying in a record which only we have present access to. It's part of section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Quote, I, John, saw that he received all power both in heaven and on earth, and the glory of the Father was with him, for he dwelt in him. Now that's after John has said three times in earlier verses that Jesus received not of the fullness at first, but that he continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. Well, however we define those words, they carry the connotations of an endowment, an endowment or an endowment of divine power. And John further says that there was related to this a power of teaching. It's in his own, well, it's in 1 John in the second chapter where he speaks of the Holy One and says, The anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Well, the suggestion is again, that somehow one reaches a level of understanding and relationship that he can be taught directly of God and to remain faithful to that is to abide in the Lord and to abide in the Lord is to abound as modern revelation says and to do that is to come to what Jesus called the abundant life now may I draw all this together with a personal recollection of a modern counterpart of all these experiences. Latter-day Saints are aware that there can be angelic ministrations, that authority and power can be conferred, that light 
will and can surround one who ministers as a messenger of the Most High, and that the very face, as for example in the presence of the Nephites, as we read in 3 Nephi, the very face and clothing of the faithful ones who are present can be transformed or transfigured. Years ago, in one of the great conferences I have ever attended of missionaries, the late President Hubie Brown came and then in the first presidency saw fit to bear his witness of the divine calling of President David O. McKay, who then was presiding over the church. It was a glorious meeting. We were in close confinement in a small room. And he began telling the following story, that sometime before, President McKay had invited him into his office and said, President Brown, I'm searching for a counselor. This was after both Presidents Stephen L. Richards and Henry D. Moyle had passed away. I have been unable to get my answer. I'm going over to the temple and to the Holy of Holies, and I'm going to get my answer. Now, as President Brown told this, it was my impression, but he did not say it, that one reason President McKay had confided with him was that he hoped President Brown would pray for him. In any case, about two hours later, President McKay returned and summoned his counselor into his office. Said President Brown, the door was open just a little, and as I looked through the door, I could see him sitting at his desk. Then he paused. You remember, he said, that Moses came down from the mount and his face shone, and he wist not that it shone, meaning Moses himself was not aware that it shone. And then President Brown said, I saw that on the prophet of God. President Brown said, President McKay, it's been made known to me in as clear a manner as anything I have ever received of the Lord, that Nathan Eldon Tanner is to be called into the First Presidency. He was called into the First Presidency, and the wisdom and divine inspiration of that call has been apparent to all Latter-day Saints. I wish, therefore, to bear witness that the glory of God the transforming glory of God, which leads to light and truth and power, is still with the church. That there is a more sure word of prophetic knowledge which all of us should aspire to. That we should not set up stakes, but attempt rather to fulfill all righteousness and to honor him who received on that occasion the preparatory power to take to Jerusalem 
and failing in the gathering, to then descend below all things, that he might be the light of truth in all things. I bear that witness in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.